0: This podcast is for general educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered medical, practice management, legal, investment, or other professional advice. No one should act or refrain from acting based on this podcast without obtaining appropriate professional advice. I think we've, in healthcare, been in a a period where a lot of us have been working more than is sometimes healthy. And practices in order to thrive and grow and recruit new, young talent are gonna need to be flexible and understand burnout. And I think in our generation, that balance is more important than ever.
1: This is Gastro Broadcast presented by Gastrologics, the only group purchasing organization in the U.S. working strictly on behalf of independent gastroenterologists. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Matthew. Today, we're talking to Dr. Jessica Fisher from Digestive Health Partners in Asheville, North Carolina. Dr. Fisher attended medical school at the University of North Carolina and did her residency and chief residency at Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center in New Hampshire. I've known her since we were GI fellows together at the University of Washington, so I've been looking forward to this conversation. Let's get started. Dr. Fisher, welcome to Gastro Broadcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. So you were actually an English lit major in college. When and how did you decide to go to med school?
0: Yep, I I was an English major in college, and that probably seems like an unusual choice for someone that's gonna go to medical school. Um, But I had a really great uh, faculty advisor in college who gave me the advice to study something that I really enjoyed, and while I enjoyed sciences, I also really enjoyed reading and analyzing literature, so that's what I majored in, and I did all of my pre-med courses alongside that. I didn't definitively decide that I wanted to go to medical school until a little bit after college, but I had an inkling in college, so I went ahead and did all those courses, and I think it's helped me a lot to think critically about things.
1: It's amazing how all these life experiences ultimately culminate to you know, somehow fit into the puzzle of our lives um, in ways we, we never expected many times.
0: Yeah. And my husband, who's a physician, was also an English major, actually. We met in medical school in a book club. A lot,
1: so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so clearly being an English ma- ma- lit major was the right decision. <laughs> I think so. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, as you know, women now outmen- outnumber men in medical school. But they really only account for about 35% of the total physician workforce. And in gastroenterology, we even have a lower percentage of about one in five. Uh, What drew you to gastroenterology and how did you ultimately decide upon private practice?
0: So in medical school, I got the advice that I should go into a field that I loved reading about. And I've always been fascinated by the GI system. Then when I was a fourth year medical student, I did a rotation with a private practice in a small town in North Carolina. They took me in and uh, started to teach me the basics of scoping, which I loved. And I really enjoyed the broad range of disease processes in GI. So I I decided to pursue it further. And when I was in residency, I met a great mentor, Tim Gardner at Dartmouth, who um, is the head of the pancreas program there and did quite a bit of research with him and did some more rotations in GI and fell in love with it even further. So I love now the mix of procedures, clinic, and hospital, but I've also loved working with other gastroenterologists. I think we're a really fun group of people. <laughs> I think we work hard and play hard. <laughs> um, and, and that goes a long way towards, towards loving a job as well.
1: Absolutely. Camaraderie is a big part of this. And you have to find people that have sort of a shared uh, level of of humor or levity about their jobs. (laughs) Right. Um, How did you ultimately decide on private practice?
0: I looked at private practices and hospital employed groups. And there were parts of each one that I felt like would work for me, um, that I could enjoy. And ultimately, You know, we really wanted to come back to the Southeast, which is where most of our family is from Seattle, where we did fellowship. And uh, we loved Asheville. We had visited here before, and I had family here at that time. So we interviewed and I felt like the practice was a really great fit. They were very transparent. It was a good sized practice with a good work-life balance. So I felt like, it was, it was great for me, and then my husband ended up getting a job here as well, and things fell into place, and I feel like I am where I'm supposed to be.
1: Jez, I'm interested, were there uh, aspects of your position that um, drew you in particular as a, as a woman looking for a position in GI? So, the practice that
0: I joined is, you know, mostly men, as most of GI is, but At my practice in particular, it's a broad range of ages. um, From I'm actually the youngest partner, but only by a month. So there's several partners that are, you know, joined a year or two before I did, and a few partners that are going to retire soon. So we have a good broad range of ages. And while it is mostly men, most of the men in my practice actually happen to be married to physicians, so they're familiar with the challenges that come with uh, being in a two-physician family, having children, and trying to juggle that, and they value that time with family just as much, and because we all value that, we can all support each other, you know, cover each other when we're sick or on vacation or have other obligations, and that's never been an issue. I've always felt very well supported, and that was an important piece of wanting to join this particular practice.
1: And within your group, are you working full-time, part-time? Tell me more about that.
0: So just in the last year, I decided to go down to part-time, which is actually still 0. 0.9. So I still work a fair amount, but it has allowed me to work three days a week most weeks, which gives me some time with to take the kids to school, to pick them up, or do things with their there were school activities when we used to have school activities. So I have really enjoyed being part-time, and I don't think I'll ever go back to working five days a week every week. I still take hospital call and work in the hospital as much as the other partners, but, but just work a little bit less in the clinic and in procedures.
1: And are there other partners in your group who have elected to go part-time, or were you developing this track de novo?
0: There was actually three of us that decided around the same time. So that was nice. Out of a group of 16 doctors, there are three of us that are, have a similar schedule. So that's been very useful um, to sort of create that road for others um, as others come along. I'm sure there will be more that want to to work that type of schedule.
1: Yeah, I believe strongly that uh, paving the way for others coming behind us is a a huge role, um, in, in advocating for women in any field and certainly within gastroenterology. Absolutely. I'm curious, were there any challenges that you faced in developing this pathway within your practice? Really not.
0: You know, that's one of the great things about being in an independent private practice. I feel like, you know, we can kind of forge the way however we want, we can create the type of practice that we want. And since life and work balance is a priority for our group, you know, I felt very well supported in that. You know, I think that practices are gonna need to create the, that space for physicians. I think we've in healthcare been in a, a period of where a lot of us have been working more than is sometimes healthy. And practices in order to thrive and grow and recruit new, young talent are going to need to be flexible and understand burnout. And I think in our generation, that balance is more important than ever for men and women. So I'm hoping that practices other than mine will will appreciate that and allow partners to to be flexible in how how much they're working and to allow that family time or, or time for other interests.
1: Within our group, we do account for overhead for physicians who choose to go part-time. And and we have several who are currently working at about 75% um, and a few others at different percentage levels. And so we compensate accordingly um, for overhead, uh, which has been working pretty well. Uh, We also distribute call and hospital weeks based on that percentage. And so, for example, if a physician is working... 75%, 75%, they would then take 75% of call. And so it's all uh, distributed equally in that way. But I think each practice develops this in their own unique way. And, you know, again, there's so many different ways to achieve um, fairness while still allowing people to, to work with the flexibility levels that they want.
0: Right. And since we're the first three in our practice to, to do the part-time model, you know, I think it, it will probably change over time and, and we'll figure it out more and more. I think it will evolve into something that's overall beneficial for the whole group.
1: Mm-hmm. What do you think we can, we can do to encourage more women to become gastroenterologists and go into private practice?
0: You know, I think with the increase in women in medical school that we'll see an increase in women in GI over the next several years. And particularly, hopefully, in areas of leadership in GI, and I think we've already been seeing that some. Again, in the long term, we need to, um, in healthcare, pay attention to the needs of physicians for bal- for for striking that balance. Um, otherwise, you know, I think we're going to give up our our the privilege of being physicians. It's it's just not sustainable to expect people to continue to work the way that they have in years past.
1: You and I both benefited from uh, training at a fellowship program with really strong female representation. I'm wondering your um, reflections on how that molded your career.
0: We sure did. We had some really great um, women to look up to at University of Washington and Harborview, PacMed, and all of those places. And I'm particularly thinking at this moment about Christina Sarawicz, um, who was the first female president of ACG, and the influence that she had over me. Um, and I just still remember going in in the middle of the night to scope a seal bleeder. And she was just so humble and smart and Just a great clinician and also encouraged us to take care of ourselves in other ways, to be with our family, to spend quality time and taught us ways to not get burned out. And that was so valuable. And I still think about her frequently and maybe she's out there listening somewhere, but um, I think she was a great influence on many of us.
1: Yeah, I I share those sentiments as well. She was pretty incredible. Um, I've always felt that. Encouraging women in any field is is a pretty simple recipe. You need really strong mentorship. You need representation. You need to see people in front of you showing you what that can look like. And then you need to provide opportunity. And each individual charts their own path and they can, you know, decide if they want to walk through that door. But without those three pieces, I think it's really hard to encourage any underrepresented t- underrepresented group um, to thrive. And we were we were fortunate to come up in a in a mix and fellowship that really had all those three three pieces. What advice would you give to women in medical school and to early career physicians?
0: So that's a great question and you know I've been reflecting on my own life and my own career a lot. My dad passed away just a couple of years ago from metastatic pancreatic cancer, and that was just before my 40th birthday. He was 72 when he died, and the way that he lived his life was really very inspiring. He had a lot of interests and hobbies, but his relationships were always his top priority, and he made it a point to show up in all of his relationships with authenticity and integrity, even when that meant having difficult or uncomfortable conversations. So, you know, after his death, I reflected a lot on how I wanted to live and, you know, in all of our relationships, including in medicine, we need to be able to have those difficult conversations in order to evolve and improve. For instance, like we talked about, you know, we have a lot of work to do in the area of health equity to address racial disparities in medicine and ensure that all of our community members are receiving the care that they need. But when it comes to addressing racism and discrimination of any type, you know, the conversations around that are inevitably going to be uncomfortable at times. And those discussions require us to take a hard look at where we've messed up in the past in order not to make the same mistakes again. So, you know, I think that's a roundabout way of kind of getting to my advice, which is to identify the priorities and values in one's own life and find a way to set boundaries around each of those areas and then revisit those priorities regularly and have strategies as to how to make the time and energy for each of them and be courageous and willing to have difficult conversations in order to deepen relationships and better ourselves and our institutions and then of course you know flexibility is going to be important and sometimes those lines are blurred or stretched but by continually reflecting on our relationships and the causes that we're passionate about, you know, we can feel more balanced and satisfied in our careers.
1: Well said. Thank you, Dr. Fisher. And thank you all for listening to this episode of Gastro Broadcast. Uh, Jess, we look forward to your equity initiatives in the future and continue to, to inspire us all. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. It was great to talk to you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Gastro Broadcast. Find new episodes through Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. For information about our hosts, guests, and supporters, visit gastrobroadcast.com.
1: Produced by Steadfast Collaborative.